Hi, I'm Kendra and Macy. And the passage today is from Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kendra. Thank you, Macy. Hey, everybody. How you guys doing? Good. It's good to see you. Um, uh, before we dive in, I just wanted to say uh, thank you to everybody who like sent cards and, and just reached out, sent a text uh, as um, over the last week. Um, if you weren't here last week, uh, it, was, it was shared that, that Carly and I, um, we had a, a surprise pregnancy. It was really exciting, uh, terrifying. <laughs> and um, unfortunately, last week, uh, we, we experienced a miscarriage. So um, it's been a, a time of um, grief and being at home and sort of processing that. So just thank you, everybody, for, for caring for us during that time. Um, today, Family Worship Sunday, I pledge to you, we're going to go short, all right? I promise. Be merciful, Marshall. Um, in 2014, I was on a trip uh, to Nicaragua with my friend and a mentor, uh, Pastor Steve Fish, who's the founding pastor of this church. And uh, we, we went down there to spend time with all of the Lavinia pastors in, in the country, sort of traveling throughout Nicaragua, uh, just seeing what it was that we could do to be able to help support them uh, as they were expanding, planting more churches and, and seeing God move uh, throughout that country. And after uh, a pretty long trip, like 14 days of traveling all over the place and meeting with different people who didn't speak the same language that I did, we were pretty tired. And Steve said, well, let's go have like a tourist day. We'll go to Granada and we'll explore all of the cool historical stuff in that city. So we arrive at Granada around 10 a.m. and we first go to some famous cigar shop. I can't remember what it was called, like Doña something or other. All I really remember was that it was a family-owned place where uh, the, there were pictures on the wall of the owners smoking cigars with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And um, when we got to this, this cigar shop, they, they hand-rolled a cigar for me to smoke while we were shopping. Now, I'm not really much of a cigar guy. I've never really liked them. Um, but we were there to buy contraband for other sinners that are in this room. And so, so I, I started smoking it, and I didn't want to offend the, um, the owners of this place, so, and I didn't know it was customary, and this thing was like 12 inches long. <laughs> and so I'm like, I gotta make a dent, right? I gotta make a little bit of a dent before I put this out. So I started sucking the cigar down, and um, getting cancer, probably. And after getting through a pretty respectable amount of the cigar, I finally put it out, walked away, and felt disgusting, like, sh like shame, <laughs> mostly shame, uh, like my stomach hurt. It was terrible. And then our next stop was to go to this monastery that was called the Cloister of San Francisco. It was beautiful, and it was historic. It was like brick building. Um, There's this gorgeous 
courtyard right in the middle that had like this serene grass and trees all around. And it was just, it was so peaceful. It was completely silent. You couldn't hear the street outside, out front, uh, when you were inside the courtyard. And um, as we were walking around the monastery, my stomach began to just like twist in a knot. And Steve was telling me a bunch, I can't even remember. He was like yammering on and on and on about the history of the place. And I couldn't hear a word that he said because I was feeling sicker and sicker. And finally, I couldn't take it anymore. And I sprinted through the grass across the, the courtyard to the nearest bathroom and puked up everything that I had eaten in the last 14 days. And... Um, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever hurled so violently and loudly the sounds of my sickness echoing through the serenity of this monastery courtyard. And I like pull myself together. I walk out of the bathroom and there's Steve looking at me with this look of horror and embarrassment and disgust. Pretty much every emotion other than empathy was on his face. <laughs> I had disturbed the monastery. I had broken the peace, as it were. (laughs) And the lesson from this story, kids, is that you should never let someone peer pressure you into doing something that you know is wrong, even when that person is a pastor, okay? (laughs) For the last few weeks, we've been in a sermon series that we're calling Sacred Rhythms. It's inspired by a book that was written by a woman named Ruth Haley Barton. And we're taking the winter months sort of talking through these ancient practices or what's sometimes called spiritual disciplines. These things that have been practiced by the church for thousands of years that are meant to reorient our hearts away from the superficial desires of the world and towards the deeper desires that are in our hearts that God has put in us. You see, all of us have desires that are in conflict with each other, like How many people desire to lose those holiday pounds that they put on, um, wanting to look a little bit better, to fit their clothes a little bit better, to feel a little bit healthier? And at the same time, we have a desire to eat whatever we want whenever we want to. Or I desire to have financial security. I desire to have reserves in the bank and know that everything is going to be okay for retirement. And I want to buy that thing right now, right? And so the aim of the Christian life is not really about trying to learn what is technically correct theology or to learn how to do the technically correct behaviors. The aim of the Christian life, really simply put, is about learning how to rightly order the desires that war inside of us, to live into the humanity that Jesus is recreating in us, orienting us towards the kingdom way of life and away from our former way of being. To paraphrase a bunch of my favorite thinkers and philosophers, who we are doesn't flow from what we believe. Who we are doesn't flow from what we think. Who we actually are flows from what we want. And through these spiritual practices that we're examining in this series, like prayer and meditating on God's word, keeping the Sabbath, retreating for solitude and silence, finding those spaces where we can be alone, in those practices, we are reorienting our hearts to go after the things that we most deeply desire instead of succumbing over and over again to the momentary strongest desires. And so... I want to contend that spiritual disciplines that we're talking about are not 
We should not be thinking about them as obligations to earn favor. Instead, they are invitations into freedom, all by the grace that is extended to us at the cross of Jesus Christ. Which finally brings us back to this fateful morning at this monastery in Nicaragua. I had no idea that in that moment, uh, this experience was going to serve as a parable for how my sort of dream contemplative life would actually look and feel in the years ahead. You see, when we imagine a life that is ordered by healthy spiritual rhythms, it's pretty enticing, right? Like when you read books about people who are living into sort of the serenity of, and peace of, of regular time alone and solitude and silence, of practicing spiritual direction, of you know, having control over their body, suppressing their appetite to fast and pray, people who meet with God in the early hours and who give themselves to regular rhythms that connect us with him, it, it sounds enticing. It sounds desirable. And as a culture, we are so obsessed with life hacks, morning routines. We look to experts who seem to live this like way of being that we all dream of. And then we ask the questions of, okay, how do you do your life? How do you spend your your mornings? And then we listen to these podcast interviews with fitness coaches and lifestyle people and whatever else to hear about their routine. And it always sounds so amazing. It's like, I wake up with the sun every morning after no less than 10 hours of uninterrupted sleep. Then I do 20 minutes of yoga and I drink an acai berry and wheatgrass smoothie. Then I like work out for 40 minutes, followed by a cold plunge, followed by hot tubbing for another hour. And then I feel like I can finally start my day. (laughs) You know, and you're just like, "Who, who are you? What? Are you kidding me? And we have like a Christian version of that. We read these old ancient writers that, that talk about the glories of God that we, that we desire somewhere deep on the inside of us. And they, they talk about spending one to four hours every morning in prayer or spending time meditating on scripture and doing Lectio Divina and like pulling it apart, you know, every single day. They retreat for these long extended periods of time and solitude and silence where they just journal and they write and they listen to the Lord. They take time every week to set aside a a special day for this ancient practice called Sabbath. And you're like, I want to know God like these people. I want to experience that. So you set yourself to wake up early the next morning, just like determined to squeeze in a single psalm and 10 minutes of prayer. Like, let's just shoot for what's realistic. And so so you, you, you got to get ready. You prepare your coffee the night before because you do not want to have to grind those beans and wake the whole house up, right? And then you wake up and your kids are like listening, it seems like, right? And so you're, you, you tiptoe past their door like Catherine Zeta-Jones in Entrapment. <laughs> Has anybody seen that? <laughs> Sorry, that was like a 1998 reference. You finally get downstairs, you hit brew on your coffee maker, you turn on a lamp, you open your Bible, and the soft crinkling of the paper, of the thin paper of your Bible suddenly is like an alarm system that goes off, and everybody wakes up simultaneously. They start crying, they need you, and and immediately you're out of the spirit, you're in breakfast mode, and now you're even frustrated because you didn't take time to take a shower beforehand. You're already behind for the day. Anyone else? (laughs) 
And so today's message, this, like today's message really is very simple, and it's aimed as an encouragement specifically to people who, who are experiencing the weight of what we'll call domestic responsibilities, parents of young kids, people who are taking care of maybe elderly parents, you know, who, who have moved in with you as, you're, as, as they're moving on in age. Um, and, and these are a lot of the people who are in our church. Because for many people in this stage of life, when we go through a series talking about spiritual disciplines, it feels like an out-of-reach obligation that usually results in us feeling like we're failures and that we're guilty and that we're frustrated. We often feel like we just can't do the Christian life because of our limiting circumstances. We struggle to just even participate in worship on a Sunday morning because the kids are kicking and fighting each other. And maybe you can steal a few extra communion crackers and just shove them in their face long enough to get through worship. Is there anybody else? Okay. And then we imagine the life with God as this peaceful monastery, this serene courtyard that is designed to draw us into deeper communion with the Father. But the monastery of our lives is consistently echoing with disruption. And if we're honest, it is often literally the sound of someone vomiting. And so, <laughs> and so how do we enter the easy yoke and the light burden that Jesus pro promises us? When we have needy people who desire our attention all the time and airtight schedules where there is little to no margin? How do we live a life of contemplation and communion with God when we feel like we lack the time or the space? What does God require of us when we already feel like we have nothing left to give? I just want to give a couple of simple thoughts that I find to be helpful. And I, I think that there is something for each of us, whether you're a parent of small kids or you're an empty nester or you're caring for an older relative or you're single. There is a lesson here for all of us. I reread a book this week um, that I found really helpful over the last few years. It's called Domestic Monastery by Ronald Rollheiser. I know that you guys like roll your eyes when I tell you to read books, but if you're a parent of small kids, I really want to encourage you to write this down and pick up this book. It's very easy read. You could, you could read it in one sitting. It's like 90 pages and there's pictures in half of them. It's great. Um, and, uh, and Ronald Rollheiser, he's a Catholic theologian and writer. He, he actually is like, like writing this book, not out of his own experience, but out of his care for other people. And this is, this is his big idea that he writes in the opening pages of his book. He says, there is a tradition strong among spiritual writers that we will not advance within the spiritual life unless we pray at least an hour a day privately. I was stressing this one day in a talk when a lady asked how this might apply to her, given that she was home with young children who demanded her total attention. Where would I ever find an uninterrupted hour each day? She moaned. I would, I'm afraid, be praying with children screaming and tugging at my pant legs. A few years ago, I might have been tempted to point out to her that if her life was that hectic, then she, of all people, needed time daily away from her children for private prayer, among other things. I'm glad he didn't tell her that. <laughs> As it is, I gave her different advice. If you are a home alone with small children whose needs give you little uninterrupted time, then you don't need an hour of private prayer daily. Raising small children, if it is done with love and generosity, will do for you exactly what private prayer does. See, it's like sometimes we fall into this trap 
of believing that, you know, we, we have to figure out how to work around our busy schedule, our distractions, the hectic demands of life in order to also figure out how to attend to the higher spiritual things, uh, you know, like prayer and, and, and scripture. Like, I would love to connect with God and find my inner peace if it wasn't for all of the responsibilities and anxieties that I face every day. And I have all of the stuff that I got to take care of, and now I have to figure out how I can do more, be more, all the time. And I think that Jesus actually kind of goes to war with this way of thinking. Like the, the dichotomy of I have to take care of this and then I have to also find time to really take care of all of this. You see, in Jesus' day, there were these religious leaders that were heaping these like burdens and obligations on regular people who were already struggling with the basics of survival. In addition to a demanding job and domestic responsibilities, putting food on the table, keeping your children alive... Like, you were also expected to fulfill a whole bunch of religious duties and obligations, and shame on you if you don't, or if you do it wrong. And in Matthew 11, Jesus responds like this to those kind of demands. He says to these kind of people, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Instead of making the spiritual life another heavy burden on top of already difficult lives, Jesus instead invites us into a deeper walk with him through the real life stuff that we all have to carry. The incarnation of Jesus, him coming in flesh and blood, it shows us that the kingdom way of life isn't ethereal, it's earthy. There is a value and a purity to our worshiping Jesus with, like, in our duties and in our responsibilities, through our vocation, not in spite of them and not off to the side of them. There was this uh, spiritual writer and contemplative uh, named Carlo Corretto. Uh, he, was, uh, he, he was popular in the, the 20th century pretty recently, and he was essentially seeking to live as a modern-day desert father. He spent years out in the Sahara Desert um, practicing silence, solitude, contemplative rhythms, and prayer. And after years away seeking God in the desert, he came back to his home and he confessed that his mother, who spent nearly 30 years raising children, was much more contemplative and way less self-focused than he was. And his conclusion was that there's nothing wrong with giving your life to like these rhythms of, of solitude and silence. There's nothing wrong with becoming a monk and going out into the desert and becoming a desert father or any of that. But really, there's something very right about the years his mother spent in constant interruption with the noise and demands of small children. In his mind, his work of prayer was attempting to do in him what was naturally being done through the vocation of his mother. He lived the rhythms of a monk. She cultivated a domestic monastery in her home. He attended to the next task. Every time the church bell rang, he would drop everything and he would go read the next scripture or he would um, sing the next song or he would pray the next prayer. 
And she similarly selflessly attended to the needs of others, not at the sound of a bell, but at the sound of a cry, morning and night. And as she gave herself to Jesus in in the tasks of domestic life, Jesus drew near to her. He transformed her. She lived this naturally cruciform life that Carlo, the great spiritual writer, could only mimic through monastic rhythms. And so here's, here's kind of the big idea. For parents of small kids or those who are taking care of elderly parents or people who feel really limited by the demands of domestic responsibilities as they pour themselves out for other people, Jesus doesn't come to you with an extra list of burdens. He invites you to find rest with him in the small moments. Rather than parents feeling like it's really hard to be a mom or a dad and a good Christian, the burden of cruciformity might actually be more difficult for those who are unencumbered by the responsibility of family. What Carlo Corretto is saying here, and you'll have to like give me a lot of grace in this because I know that this can sound harsh or, or maybe a little bit difficult to wrap our minds around, but for so long, I think I, I, I talk with like stay-at-home moms and I have so much grace for them because I, I have to be a stay-at-home dad a couple of times a week, like one day a week. It's rough. And, and I have like so much empathy because there is often this sort of assumption that I have all of these responsibilities. I'm being so constantly interrupted by my kids and I have to find time to be a good Christian also in addition to it. And what, what this book and what Carlo Corretto was saying through his mom is sort of, we have, we have to like invert that whole way of thinking. Rather than thinking that parents need to figure out how to become more like a monk, monks are striving to figure out how to become more like a stay-at-home mom. Learn the lessons of cruciformity that comes through continual self-sacrifice. In my early 20s, I had the opportunity to uh, move to New Zealand for several months to serve at a church, to intern under a man that I really respected. And part of my expectations in this internship was to spend 24 hours a week in a prayer room, um, worshiping, reading the Bible, and praying. And then the rest of my time, I worked a full-time job. Uh, I went out doing evangelism on the streets in Wellington on my Friday nights. What were you doing with your Friday nights? I was leading Bible studies. I was doing all the church stuff. I was hanging out with friends. Um, I had roommates, but by and large, my life and my time and my money was all my own. And then I moved home, uh, back home, so that I could uh, get engaged to my wife, Carly. And, and as I came home, I felt like, I felt like a, a man of God. You know, I was impressed with myself, and I'm pretty sure everybody else was impressed with me too. And um, I thought I was quite... Holy, let's say. But I later, after getting married, I later came to realize that I wasn't really all that holy. I was just undisturbed. And when I got married, this woman started disturbing me. She started messing with my time, with my resources. She started messing with my money. She started messing with my schedule. She started messing with my flexibility. And it, and it disturbed me. And I disturbed her too. And as much as I was doing for Jesus before I was married, my life, my money, my time, that was all my own. And by God's grace, I spent a lot of it on things that I felt like God was calling me and inviting me into, which was great. But when I got married, this flexibility was like, let's say, cut in half, give or take. 
And I was like, oh, this is hard. And then we had a kid. <laughs> we had a kid. And whatever was left over got cut in half again. And then it got cut in half again. And then it got cut in half again. And now I have this much left. And for years, I've struggled with this feeling like my domestic responsibilities are keeping me from living this radical life that God intends for me. The, the way that he is calling me to live is this like book of Acts, like go preach on the street and go heal the sick and go lead people to Christ and all of that sort of stuff. And I have to go mow the grass and I have to go take care of kids. And man, when they get sick, I get to stay home and work from home instead of going to the church and doing the stuff that I want to do. And I've wrestled with the fact that, that sometimes my days with the least space for prayer and contemplation, the least space for reading scripture are literally the Sabbath days when I'm home with my kids, with my, with my wife and kids. And this struggle is not meant to be a burden. It's meant to be an invitation. This struggle is good. This struggle is worth it. That being disturbed is a very good thing for us because Jesus is doing something in our hearts. He uses all of it. And so we started the sermon just a little bit ago talking about the story of Mary and Martha. Kendra read, us, read it to us from, from Luke chapter 10. And if you've been in church world for very long, no doubt you've heard a sermon at some point talking about how you shouldn't be a Martha who's all wrapped up and sitting at Jesus' feet. And the truth is, that all of us are a Mary and a Martha at the same time. There are real responsibilities that each of us have been given. We've been given vocations. We've been given people to care for. We have homes to steward. We have commitments to honor. And in America, we often make choices that, that perhaps where we take on too much uh, you know, in our lives, which is a real problem. But even still, there's just a lot to do for every single one of us. And the message of Jesus isn't to just ignore those things so that you can become a contemplative. It's rather to find ways to carve out space, to find these little moments of our time where we can sit at Jesus' feet like Mary so that we can learn well how to do all of the Martha stuff as worship to Jesus. It's both. It's, it's how we're able to, to draw into sort of deeper intimacy with God. We are all a bit of Mary. We are all a bit of Martha. And God actually does value both of them. So here again, the very simple big idea for this morning, that Jesus did not come to heap more religious burdens on your already weighted down shoulders. He's simply inviting us to learn how to live lightly with him. And the way that we do that is through the smallest and weakest yes in our souls. He delights in us just saying yes to the smallest things that we can give him, to bring him what we have. And so for some people, that might be sacrificing that 30 minutes of sleep in the morning to get up and read a psalm and pray. It might be letting the dishes in the sink take care of themselves or that would be nice. It, it might be letting the dishes in the sink just to be where they are so that you can care for your heart. It might mean choosing a different day to clean out the garage because it's time for you to set this aside for family and Sabbath. It might mean redeeming your commute, spending those 20 minutes in quiet with the Lord. Because the weak yes is exactly what Jesus loves. The small obediences are like a fragrant offering to God. And the work that we do really matters. 
But you can, you can work, your work can be a deep communion, an expression of worship to Jesus. So that's it. That's it. It's not that you need to figure out how to set aside this to attend to this. It's how do we find God in all of it? Bring him what you have. Amen?